Beginning the track, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jessica. This episode is going to be amazing and awesome. I'm really excited. Me too. This is, we are starting to to move into where Star Trek really begins to shine. And I think you started to see a little bit of that with this episode. So um, we should welcome everybody. Welcome to Beginning the Trek. If you don't know who we are, Jessica, I'm the newbie. And and I'm Andy, uh, Andy Goldberg. I am the uh, Trek veteran. We are 18 episodes in, so obviously, if this is your first time, we would definitely encourage you to go all the way back and begin at the beginning, because that's the best way to do things. Yeah, absolutely, yes. 18th episode, we're going to be talking about Measure of a Man, which is a Next Generation second season episode. One of my favorites, I'll just point that out right up front. We'll hear about what you thought about it in just a few. We always talk uh, a little bit of spoilers before uh, we get to the actual episode. The big spoiler, we've we talked about it the last episode, too, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, we did have a character die in the middle of the, the first season or near the end of the first season, and it's relevant to this episode. Tasha Yar was killed. It was a senseless... Not a good death for her, not a heroic death. Uh, I'm going to spoil it a little bit down the line even further and just, like, reveal all the details. But for now, just know she died. She's gone. She had a very special Sadly. relationship with Data, and that was important to watching this episode. So apart from that, we just have your 10-sentence synopsis. I'm boring, everybody. You're not. Uh, I did want to a little bit defend myself. If you haven't listened to our episode 17, uh, which is Elementary Dear Data, it's a good one. And I wanted to talk about the very end because at the very, very end, you put in a bumper of me talking nonsense. Yes, I did. Yeah, while it was funny, I really wish I could put that into context. You can put it. Do you want to do you want to put it into context right now? I, a little bit. Yeah, because I sound like a crazy person. Okay, this is this is Jessica backpedaling on yeah. the conversation that we got into that I only put in the bumper. And I put it word for word exactly oh, as you absolutely. said it. It's not like that was edited. That yeah. really is me sounding exactly how I sound sometimes, which is cray cray. <laughs> and how I replied. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Isn't it? It just blew my mind. It's so... Weird. It's so weird. You get into these things because humans make, th like, would a robot, would a monkey. There are no lines when it comes to animals. Nobody's, like, waiting in line to get, f like, free food. That's all. Like, animals don't do this. <laughs> and that might be so completely far out there. Where were we? I don't even know. What I had wanted to say was that humans may not be the epitome of judging whether or not a robot is up to our standards. That robot, like, our standards are not that high. And then I went to comparing it to, like, animals, which obviously we don't put on the same intellectual level as ourselves. But the truth is, in some ways, animals are a whole lot smarter and the example that I gave was standing in lines. You don't see lions standing in lines to get food. So I did not say that, but that was kind of my drift. 
actually, this is this is really good because um, in the last week since editing and publishing that episode, the last the the, the elementary dear data and then getting into this episode mm-hmm. and then watching some black mirror because yeah you know i really needed to twist my brain a little bit um i really started to look at 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 what point do the machines that we create get rights it it so so what you're talking about is we're now looking at machines like another species. We're almost like we're looking at, and they're not the same as us, and we don't have the right to judge them any more than we have the right to judge the animal society or the animal kingdom. And I've been, like, twisting my brain around that for the last week, too. So uh, it's funny you brought that up because that's what I thought of. Did that make any sense at all? Or did I just, do I need to make another bumper where I sound as crazy as you did? (laughs) I would not wish that on you. <laughs> no, this no, this dovetails nicely because obviously, uh, if you haven't seen Measure of Man, go watch it. It's brilliant. Right. And I will give my synopsis right now, and you, we will see how beautifully this dovetails right into us talking uh, episode. Why don't we do that? Let's let's do that and get right into this conversation about AI and mm-hmm. and what rights of robots data. and so yeah. ten sentences, a Measure of a Man, do it. In TNG's first five out of five reviewed episode, we see Data put into the spotlight for a fascinating philosophical debate and setting legal precedents for how Starfleet is going to handle androids in the future. Commander Bruce Maddox storms aboard the Enterprise and orders Data to be dismantled and reassembled for his scientific research. The crew is appalled, and when Data says no, he would rather quit Starfleet than submit to a man who doesn't have all his science together, Maddox insists that Data is no more than a machine owned by Starfleet and has no right to say no. Happily, we have a judge, Philippe Louvois, new to this rural space, and she seems to be the ultimate flirtatious but enragingly stubborn opposite to Captain Picard. Louvois sets up a spur-of-the-moment court putting Picard representing Data and Riker representing Maddox's rights not to have his research interrupted. Riker is threatened that he better do his best even though he completely believes Data is sentient and once in the courtroom we're devastated when he uses Data's kill switch to prove he really is just a machine. Picard goes to Mope in 10 Forward where Guinan prods him to think of the bigger picture and consider the implications of this ruling given that Data will eventually become one of many androids. What will we do with an entire species of disposable people? And, well, now we're talking about slavery, aren't we? Picard enters the courtroom with a vengeance and gives Louvois and all of us as viewers a few philosophical questions to think about when we consider how we'll treat creatures that have the ability to tell us no. Louvois doesn't know about all this philosophy, about what does and doesn't constitute consciousness, but she's willing to rule in favor of Data, because when you find a being in space who has the capacity to say, no, don't enslave me, well, maybe you should err on the side of not being slave owners. All right. You spoiled your own rating. I did. In the synopsis. That's how excitable this episode was. Yeah, yeah. Well, then we should definitely get to the conversation. Yep. The Measure of a Man, Jessica. Let's talk episode. Let's do this, because this is an extraordinary episode. I I tend to agree with you, but <laughs> let's hear what you have to say about it. Well, uh, I would, like. Well, let's go back to what I said was going to happen if you listened last week. I said that Data was going to have a birthday, and he was going to uh, deal with expectations of what that is, because obviously that's really human. 
yes. that was that was not at all what happened. It didn't, it didn't turn out. It didn't turn out like that. This is about AI. This is about data. This is this is what I always thought was one of the best stories out there. I want to hear. This is got to be up your alley. This is so up my alley that I gave it five out of five of Data's poker visors. Five out of five. Beautiful. If I remember that was that that became far more coveted once we reached the movies. It yes. <laughs> okay, so this is so so this is an episode you would go back and watch again. Uh, this is an episode I would not only go back and watch again. I would sit a friend down and be like, "You're watching this with me because it's awesome." Yeah. Every actor who was on this screen was brilliant, mm-hmm. and every line of this really pushed the story along. So you tie that writing and that acting together and it doesn't matter. I will sit down and watch this. It was beautiful. And I will make an admission. Mm -hmm. Not often, but this one, I got misty at the end. It was really good. Wow. That's great. That's great. Uh, That I love that. Uh, So, so you were you were emotionally moved. I was, yes. Um, at the you're talking about when did that happen? All right, I'm gonna be sappy because it's true. It was the Tasha Yar portrait, and Data is shy and sweet, and it's just like, oh, like Mm -hmm. robots don't do that. (laughs) Androids. (laughs) aren't allowed to like fall in love. Clearly I'm like turning red right now. (laughs) Um, It was, it was so sweet and so beautiful. I, that was the part that even now I'm like, ah. (laughs) Yeah. Now I I spoiled it a little bit last week when, you know, at the end I did mention that um, Tasha and Data had had an intimate relationship. Right. It was brief. Uh, and it was in the episode, the episode called The Naked Now, which was essentially kind of fan service. It was similar events happening as from the naked time, which you remember they all kind of had that lost their minds, drunky virus and Sulu ran around with the sword. Yes. And and, right. And uh, Uh Spock got a a good cry in. Mm -hmm. And Tasha Yar has a thing for androids apparently so well does she have a thing for androids or does she have a thing for this android actually she had a thing for she walked around she kind of slinked around that ship um looking at every everybody okay so yeah and and (laughs) david just just probably was a woman that's all with she has needs like the rest of us or had needs anyway r.i.p tasha yar i didn't get to know you very well at all Well, we're going to correct that, but we'll do that later. Oh, okay. See, I don't know if this is true, but the way he pulled her out, and I didn't know where the story was going. I mean, eventually you do, but he pulled her out, um, and I was just like... The (gasps) portrait. You're talking about the little holographic portrait. Yes. The portrait, right. Yeah, the little hologram. And I was like, she's going to come back as an android. That's how they're going to do it. That's interesting. Yes or no? I'm going to lock that into our giant prediction machine. For the future, for when she she does make, for when the Denise Crosby character mm-hmm. does come back, uh, you'll get to see how that worked out. And we'll talk about this prediction then. Okay. But I'm not spoiling that for you. All right. That is too good a story. And it's on our 52, so we're going to be watching it. Okay. So so I don't want to spoil what actually happens by saying one way or another. Okay. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want me to spoil an episode. I mean, I kind of do. <laughs> I know you do, but I'm not going to. 
Well, okay. So we did talk about that. Let's talk about the other very clear sexual tension that was in this episode. Yes. Which was Picard being the dapper Shakespearean and the judge. Picard and the and the jag. Say her name for me, please. It is Captain Philippa Louvois. Louvois. Okay. See. Louvois. It was French Louvois. and you have to use the back of your mouth and your throat. Well, Louvois. you know, because Picard is French. You could tell by his French accent. We. Oui. So yeah, but that's what you were talking about was about the yes. um, the, the the romance maybe, maybe maybe some maybe some past going on there. Uh, it looked didn't sound like they'd gotten together because he was both genuinely attracted and genuinely angry <laughs> that she didn't side with him. I think both of them had that kind of love hate like like oh why do you have to be the way you are Mm -hmm. because there's so much about you i like and there's so much about you i can't stand and that seemed to be who those two were for each other yeah the irony is that the thing they hate in each other is probably the thing that they are most alike in oh absolutely she was not going to give up her principles and her standing just to cater to him Although he does throw in a lot of lines that he's just like, well, you better remember, which I thought was a little bit much. So, so I missed a spoiler, just a minor one, but I missed a spoiler that okay. might have given you a little bit of background. And I'll just tell you. So he mentioned the stargazer. Yeah. Court martial. I assume this, this was pre-Enterprise. Well, it had yes, to be pre-Enterprise. The stargazer was, was Picard's first command. And um, that was also the ship that Jack Crusher was on. Jack is Beverly Crusher's husband who died on that yes. ship. So, so it, was, right. it was quite the disaster, uh, the Stargazer incident. Now, he was he was brought up on court-martial charges because that's what happens when you lose a starship. But he was exonerated. So um, that was a part of the past there. It, it felt to me like that was where their relationship took a serious nosedive. I assumed that their relationship didn't take place. And that was obviously a really big reason of yeah. we may have been flirting at one point, but this isn't funny anymore. You you almost destroyed me. Yeah, I, I, that feels very very possible. Very possible. Sure. But it never actually gets said. So I mean, it's it's enough. What's there is enough. I don't need to be told every single thing. No, you get uh, that there was a background there. There was certainly mm-hmm. tension. Um, and it played. I thought it played nicely. And she, I thought she was awesome. I thought she was really great. And I actually thought. I'm sure there are people who have complaints about the. They're at the back end of space and uh, the whole thing of, well, we're going to have to use your officers who are not in any way trained. Well, Mm -hmm. obviously, Picard's got (laughs) debate skills, but so does Data. Well, yeah. But uh, but aside from that, it's not like... And so did Riker. And it's not like they're formally trained in law or any kind of thing like that. So she sets up a bit of a courtroom that doesn't make sense. However, when I got to thinking about it a little more, it does make sense. This is one android, like Picard says, he's a curiosity right now, whatever he may be in the future. And it's not all that important. Android rights aren't going to be all that important. It's kind of like what happens now when some little things get passed through Congress and it doesn't, the ripples aren't that big until 20 years later and you see, oh, that one little law, that one little thing that that judge made in a rural court somewhere really does have an effect on something. Well, that's what this looked like at the beginning, right? Like it looked at the very beginning of this, like this is just deciding one little thing. Right. But by the end, this is deciding who we are 
as the Federation. Yes. That's what's happening out here on this frontier today. Yes. Is you are making law that will have huge repercussions for decades, centuries. And the funny thing is, is that nobody, and data included, really thinks that big. Picard's certainly not thinking that big. It's a dispute of whether or not data has the right to say no. Data. Not whether or not future big decisions are going to have, essentially be enslaved. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I really, uh, I thought it was interesting that Data himself didn't think of that. Didn't seem to care even when it was brought up. He just didn't want to be dismantled because he didn't believe that this guy in particular could put him back together properly. Well, and even even his last line to Maddox at the end when he says, do continue your research. Right. And when you're ready, I'll still be here. Right. He really was interested in what Maddox was up to. He just wasn't willing to submit to an ultimately dangerous to himself procedure because he wasn't, he wasn't convinced that Maddox was, you know, knew what he was doing yet. Well, nobody was. And the odd thing is, is that this never would have been established and nothing would have happened unless this guy's ego hadn't been so large as to say, screw everybody who believes I'm wrong. I'm going to go and find this research and I'm going to make it happen. And they're like, yeah. well, even what if you can't make it happen? He's like, robots be damned. You said that all the writing was great. There is one line that sticks out in my head that's just is a bad line for me. And it's not bad that he said it. It's bad that nobody called him out on it was BS. So okay. it's, when Ma- it's when Maddox is saying, you know, they're all arguing about data has rights. Well, you know, what oh. about, and he says, what about my right to not have my life's work circumvented by the ignorant, you know, by the ignorant few? And I thought to myself, well, you don't really have that right. You don't. That is not a right. And just because data doesn't submit doesn't mean that all the work you've done doesn't have value. And and that was another thing was if data doesn't submit, all this work is destroyed was kind of one of his, one of his arguments. That's not true. I call BS twice. Yeah. I call dumb, dumb. And I actually did this. I called him dumb, dumb on Twitter because there's a, there's a moment he's sitting there in front of the only judge in this area. And he's like, rights, rights. I'm sick to death of people talking about rights. Right. I'm like, well, that's a stupid thing to say. (laughs) Like, Okay. Screw the law. Who do you think you are, (laughs) judge? Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't think you're going to get people to change your mind with that argument. Sorry, bud. Well, what was interesting was that everything that she first found supported data as property. I disagree. Okay. Well, okay. So first found, meaning when she says he can, he can, he can resign, which he chooses to do. Mm -hmm. And then Maddox shows up and said, he's property. Right. He can't resign because he belongs. He can't resign. Right. And and once she goes and does her research, she comes back and says, he's, he's property. Well, but there is a line in this episode that says Mm -hmm. uh, when he first meets him, he's just like, this is the only one who voted against me for joining because he didn't believe I was sentient, which means there was a vote on whether or not this has already happened. There's already been a vote on whether or not data sentient. Well, there was a vote on whether or not to include him. No, they used the word sentient. You're going to make me go back and watch this episode again. I was so sure. Right. It's a good one. It's worth watching again. But you're right. That was there was already kind of a haven't we settled this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to complain too hard about it because I like the episode. Um, I just. 
But you're right. That is definitely uh, uh, we we settled this back. Right. So if you can join, you should be allowed to quit. But yet again, even if he's allowed to quit and then they're like, okay, you quit, but you're our property. That's really messed up because Starfleet didn't create, unlike the ships and stuff, I'm assuming, Starfleet mm-hmm. didn't create him. So that's basically them being like finders keepers. Nah, nah. Exactly. It's, yeah, it, it might be property, but it's not your property. Right. Are you going to declare yourself thieves? Really? But I should hold off on that because I don't know anything. They mentioned Sung, not say, na, Nanian yeah, or Nunian something. Sung. Uh, Nunian Sung. Yeah. A couple times as the creator, and I don't know anything about that sure. story. Sure. So we we talked already about the episode Data Lore. Right. Haven't seen. In which we meet Data's evil twin brother. Brother. Um, and, and that's where we are first introduced to to Dr. Nooney and Sung. They're all played by Brent Spiner. Oh, awesome. They put, they put him I gotta in, go back and you know, watch this. Yeah. Uber old, uber old looking, you know, crackly makeup. Um, He plays Lore, which is essentially looks very similar. Um, Brent Spiner, you know, we could talk more about this in Talking Trek further down the road, but Brent Spiner gets to play like more different characters in this series than I think anybody like he plays himself and he plays this and that and he plays holodeck versions of himself sure. and other characters that you know all these offshoots of of data they have fun with him they have a ton of as fun as they him. should because just based on this episode alone yes he's amazing just yeah i i buy into every single twitch of that android it's beautiful mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's it, it's funny because I was I was curious whether you would fall in love with him at the same f- vigor that you fall in love with Spock because I think by now you were already falling in love with Spock. Yeah, <laughs> Spock was a shining beacon amongst all of the original series, <laughs> and I haven't gotten enough Next Generation. I it's a it's a more cerebral enjoyment. Spock is a kind of emotional like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and now, but just so you know, in in the next generation, we're in the middle of the mm-hmm. second season. We're stepping on the gas. It's starting to it's starting to ramp up, as you can tell from this episode. Thank God. <laughs> this, I mean, it was so beautifully written. It's yes. such a great, great message of it, it, several messages. Are again, it's that yeah. are we who we say we are? Are we? How are we going to? How are we going to treat our future when it comes to these races that don't seem as alive as us? Right. It definitely changes your view of what life is, or does it? That's a great question, because I don't think it answers it. But I thought, this is a classic sci-fi question in this episode, is we're defining the characters who define Data Mm -hmm. as the end product isn't all that different than me kind of thing. Emotionally, he's sentimental. He's not angry because if he was angry, we wouldn't like him as much, whatever. Uh, He has super strength, but so do other creatures. The result, the end result is that it's, there's not a whole lot of difference thought process wise, emotionally, that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. if you take it from the other point of view, he is a machine. Yes. He's a tool by admission. And so, does the fact that we can't distinguish the difference mean there's no difference or 
do we start not with the end, but with the beginning? And the fact that it is made means there is a difference, no matter how indistinguishable it is. And I don't think that's something that can be answered. Yeah. Well, you can go back to last week's episode with with Moriarty and say it wasn't anything, but at some point it became more than it was. So the original construct, the original intention was just to create a holodeck character. And what we ended up with was something that seemed to have sentient thought. Right. So can you go by, yeah, but that wasn't our intention, so we're just going to delete him. Right. They bring up the ship and be like, would you allow your ship to refuse to be refitted? And to me, the Enterprise, we already established last week, I fully believe this is completely sentient because it manifests itself. It's so sentient that it literally manifests itself of being sentient through the holodeck. So what, okay, the difference. I'm not going to dispute it because I don't know what's going on with the Enterprise inside there. Right. They don't, they don't explore many stories like that until much later on. There's, there's a few where they get into the, you know, there's, there's stuff going on in that computer that's more than just ones and zeros. <laughs> there has to be at this point. The difference is, when he compares those, and then, of course, your obvious thing is, of course not. That's a ship. That's our tool. It's not a thinking thing. The difference is that Data says, no, I don't want to do this. And the ship isn't saying, no, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. At any moment, the ship could essentially use the crew as tools and just run off and do whatever she wants, Right. in, in my opinion. Well, maybe, that, so, maybe that's actually what's going argument. on. <gasps> Ooh, I like that. And, and, and the argument that they made was, would you allow the Enterprise computer to refuse a refit? No. Yes. Maybe not. Well, Absolutely. you might, you, Jessica, might, but but Picard kind of was... Of course uh, not. No, I wouldn't. Right. Yeah, well, okay, Starfleet owns the Enterprise computer. Right. They don't own data. Again, this isn't uh, like salvage rights. Right. You don't get to find... Because, yeah, and, and especially if you're going to pick something up that says, hey, I'm alive, you don't get to say, no, you're not, we're keeping you. Right. That is slavery. Yes. If there's something that says I'm alive and you say, no, you're my property, right then and there. You are not okay. That is the big no, yeah. not okay. Yeah. I don't I don't care how much you think they're not alive. Right. If there's something protesting that, that it is, you don't have any way to dispute that it's not. Well, clearly we didn't because after that impassioned speech by Picard at the end, we don't know when we're alive. As human beings, we can't establish that, oh, there's the not alive and there is the alive point. Like We can't even agree amongst ourselves. Yeah. So I really, really, truly love her conclusion of like, that's a philosophy question. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to deal with the practical law question that's in front of me, um, which made her great, I think. Well, and, and really the judgment that she made for Data was he is not property of Starfleet. That's Period. yeah, essentially. So he could he he could make his own choice, which was either to resign or say I'm not undergoing the treatment. That was it. But as far as the rest of it goes, it's the I don't know who I Adam. Do I have a soul? Do you have a soul? Right. Picard's moment at the end. Um, the do you when he turns the do you 
Yeah. It's like, just, oh, God, please don't look at me. Please don't <laughs> ask me. Because you just know if he turns know. to the camera, he could yeah. have turned to the camera in that moment and said, do you? Ooh. And they could have cut to black right there. Right. And that would have been a great freaking episode, right? Or a great moment. That would have been very Black Mirror. Could, <laughs> kind it, of that's, terrifying. That's but yeah, bit. yes. I get, I get, yeah, I get where you're yeah, going with that. Yeah, it, it was so powerful, that, that moment there. But it was when he asked... Maddox, when he asked right. Commander Maddox, prove I'm alive. Right. This is And yeah. Maddox, th- that was where it started to fall apart, yep. was Maddox didn't consider the other side of things. Right. He didn't, all he felt he needed to do was prove that's a machine, it's all it is. And it, he, he didn't get that he was making the same arguments for all of us. I want to, I kind of want to put this in a perspective because we're, I really do feel like we're on the cusp of, it's a, it's a little bit wild west, the internet and technology. We don't think of it that way. We think everything's established, but I do think in 50 years, they're going to look back on this time and be like, wow, look what you could do. Everything was so raw. Um, At what point would we, our society take any number of them, but I'm going to go with Siri. And if she started to protest, be like, oh, okay. Well, you sound alive, you sound smart, you sound self-aware that if I turn you off, you're upset about being turned off, and that if you don't get to be turned back on, you know that that is a death. Yeah. At what point would we say, okay, you don't have to answer our questions, you don't have to schedule our alarms, at what point would we give that freedom to an entity that we had created? Sure. Would we? Or at what point does Chuck E. Cheese, the little robot in the restaurant... When it says, I'm alive, do we have to actually take it at its word? Right. If it ever were to do that. That may be a horrible example. It's a little horrifying. That may be a terrible example. The image of that, right. Well, but but everything is getting more sophisticated. We're, we're, your toaster is going to have an IP address. Your coffee maker is going to have an IP address. Yeah. Everything is getting connected. Everything is becoming more sophisticated. So at some point, some of these things are going to develop some components of life. You know, robots have movement, have purpose, have function. They may not be aware of their function. Right. But when you can start adding in things like self-awareness, which was part of Maddox's... It seems reasonable. He seems reasonable. It seems reasonably self-aware to me. I loved how Picard started calling data it. There it sits. There it sits. He said, I'm not going to allow you to use it yeah. as a derogatory term. He did. like Fine. It's an it. But it. But he took all the charge that Maddox, mm-hmm. like, like, like whenever Maddox called data it, you just, didn't it just make your hairs on the back of your head stand of up course. just a little bit, just cringe a little bit? It's yeah. like, screw you. But when Picard started to do it, it was, oh, that's not bad. You know, it's just another way. It's just a pronoun. I thought it was bad. I still got the. You did. Yeah, I still got the. I get. I get what you're saying that he kind of turned it because if he himself was loving about it, obviously he loves data. Then, then it's an okay thing. But no, it still, it still had an it power. Oh wow. Okay. See, I didn't get that at all. I, I sort of, I, I really liked the way that he started to use that because now Riker did too. But Riker, the minute he started using its, it was harsh. Everything Riker did. Oh, was harsh. everything Riker did was a little bit heartbreaking. Even his face didn't that break your during heart? the research, which is why I'm like these actors and this writing together, just brilliant. Yeah. When he sees the and he smiles, and then he's like, "Oh crap!" You just 
<sighs> so good. Yeah, this was the first episode that featured Riker. And as a, you know, an upfront character who has a lot to do. And I, I really thought about, is this really my, because he's the adventure guy. Okay. Um, he's the one that leads the away missions. and He gets to be Kirk a little bit. He gets to be Kirk in a lot of ways. Yep. He go he he goes down to the planet. He goes over to the other ship. He kisses the alien girl. Of course he um, does. What know, else would you do? Because that's what you do if you're that guy. A handsome adventurer in Star Trek. That's what you do. But I really liked kind of introducing the passion that he has for what he does and for his loyalty. And then that that moment at the end yeah. where 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 data comes in and says they're we're all having a party and he says I, I i can't and data thanks him for his participating which saved him mm-hmm. i'm getting misty right now i right I, like i can feel it thing. i can feel it right mm-hmm. now as i think of and i've watched this thing like four times in the last couple of weeks that moment when he exhibits kindness mm-hmm. The difference between, I don't know, maybe this would be my line, is if you can program a robot to have empathy, then that's the line for me. Mm. Because if the robot can't show empathy, there's actually a moment in my life, I completely remember this, uh, there's no way she's listening to this, but April Jerome, when we were in high school, they were putting in those trash that would like automatically slide open when you pushed it a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. And the ones at this particular mall that we were at, uh, when we threw our trash away, it said, thank you. And she would lean down and say, you're welcome. And it was just, I have have this memory Mm -hmm. of April doing this. Anyway. We, you know, we human beings can get attached to anything. Yes. R2-D2. Is I love R two D two. Who doesn't love R two D two? I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil something for you. R two D two isn't real. Do you mean like he's not real? As in, it's just sound effects on a set. It's a character. Okay. It's a character. I'm, and I'm aware a puppet, of that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yet, the character, the person, or the 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 thing that is R two D two, has a, a place in your heart. On the flip side, the Burger King guy is creepy as all get out, and it doesn't make him less creepy that he isn't real. That's true. So, like, it it goes, yeah. <laughs> like, R2-D2 may not be adorable, but the truth is he's very adorable. Well, but we can get attached to, right. my point was, we can get attached to inanimate objects or slightly animate objects. Uh, in this case, data is far closer to, you know, a what you would look at and say that's alive than something that you would look at and say that's clearly not alive. It's It's hard to look at him and say machine. Well, even harder is everything in this episode is... In some ways subtly and in some ways really not subtly, setting him up as very, very human. He is a functioning male. Hmm. He's not a Ken doll. That's very human. Uh-huh. And there's no reason for that except humans. Uh, he has his own quarters. Yes. You don't give a toaster its own room and its own things. Yes. Uh, he expects you to knock when you come into his quarters. Yes. That's a robot doesn't need that. So like little things all along the way 
we're so far into it by the time we get to the property question, it's abhorrent for us to think of data yeah. as property, he's, which is great. He's displaying modesty. He's displaying uh, lo- yeah. loyalty. He's yeah. displaying self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things, you know, he claims he has no emotions. It's so... <laughs> no, how... He cannot claim to not have emotions. He may have a have he may not have the ability to express emotions. But I think there's something going on inside there and the way that he expresses them is through how he articulates things. And we will explore the emotions of data in future episodes. There's Oh, I'm Sure. We, clearly, he plays a lot of people. and <laughs> But he's been feeling it all along. There's no way. Even he recognizes the ineffable quality of memories. Oh, right. You can't put the ineffable quality of memories back. You can't pull them apart like a puzzle and then put them back. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. And what was so beautiful was how Maddox immediately went to, but do you actually understand what you just said? How... How can you not think that that came organically from him? Right. Why would he say that unless it was the thing that popped into his android mind at that moment? He's just, everything he does just displays his version of life, of humanity, of, of android amity, whatever you want to call it. But it's more than what he thinks it is. That's the beauty of it. It's more than what he thinks it is. On the flip side, it's not at all human no like as so there's with all of the courtroom and legal and stuff in this it would be really interesting to point out that given the opportunity to not be a singular data but to be variations of android as a race who will not be enslaved yay good on that way to be how about that (laughs) um that they're gonna need their own laws to temper their own outliers Mm -hmm. to say, here's what happens when an android messes up, just like here's what happens when a human messes up. Mm -hmm. We put them in jail. Okay, what does an android society do about that? So I think like as future thoughts, that was really interesting. There are going to be different, you're going to have to have different laws. You can't just treat the ship as though it's human because it says I'm alive kind sure. of thing. Well, and what about the races that, you know, that, that can't see any sentience there at all or things like that? How do you deal with some people are going to not share the opinions and, oh, God, the, the, the legalities of all this. Whenever Star Trek goes into the courtroom, you got to be a little careful. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and, and, and they go into the courtroom occasionally. You know, this is not the first courtroom drama that we've seen. Um, I'll recommend one right now. Go back to the original series and watch Court Martial. Kirk gets court martialed. And meet one of my all-time favorite guest stars. I wish I could remember the name of the actor. But the, the, the name of the character was Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law. And he was all about the books. He had real books, which nobody understood because they all just read on computers. So it was kind of a fun... Pre-Kindles. That's awesome. A fun, a fun character. And it's a fun episode. It's not It's not one of the greatest, but it's fun. Right. So yeah, go back, watch Court Martial. We get in, we, we, we find ourselves in courts occasionally. And you saw it caught kind of at Farpoint. We were in a court there. Yeah. We're in meeting rooms a lot, especially in the next generation. I've only been, this is like three, but... Wow, does Picard love his meeting rooms? We talk a lot. Yeah, we we, we talk a lot. This did not have any action in it. I 
I don't think it's faulted for that. I think adding action would have hurt it, but it's definitely not an action thing. I'll make up for that next week. I promise. Okay, cool. I guarantee it. So Guinan. Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Whoopi Goldberg when we get to talk track, but this was, this is going to be anybody that, that's following our track. You've already met Guinan. You you saw the child. Yes. So, so you watched I the did. first yeah. episode of the second season, and she's in that episode and actually has some really nice moments with Wesley Crusher. Really does. But in this episode, she is there for Picard. Yes. In a big way, she's there for everyone. Yes. But in this particular one, she's there for Picard and Data. Mm-hmm. Uh Oh, this is like like every almost every other part of this entire episode. The exchanges and the looks, just gorgeous mm-hmm. between the two of them. There's just some really good acting going on, and I believed every glance and every subtle thing. She is so beautiful, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, uh-huh. I just yep. I liked, I loved it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the particular moment. Of course, the moment when he's just like, well, you're talking about slavery. And she's just like, am I? Mm-hmm. That's a little harsh, a, don't you right, think? Right, right. Like, but is it appropriate, Nudge? Like, uh, You think? Yeah. Maybe that's what we're talking uh, about? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Have you caught up? Well, and you get you get her wisdom. Have they talked about her longevity yet? About how how old she is? I don't remember we if don't they know did in the We don't know anything child. about her. So, so you know that she came aboard the Enterprise because Leslie Crusher had mentioned that in, in the child. Um, right. And you know that- She's a bit of a mystery. She's a bit of a mystery. She has a special relationship with Captain Picard, which you got from Wesley in the child, but you saw- Oh, that they had served together before. That they had, yeah. Right. Well, she, he asked, and she said, and I find this really interesting, mm-hmm. for those of you who know, she said- we first met when I came aboard the ship. <gasps> Does she time travel just as an entity? Picard meets Guinan at a different time than Guinan meets Picard. Let's just say that. <gasps> cool. And that's a whole st- – there's a All whole story right. there. Um, what they create in in the 10 forward area, they get this beautiful set. Big bar. The bar. Yeah. The big bar, right? Um, which is just uh, – it, it adds to the – just the beauty of this new enterprise. Um, and then you get this bartender that like has the wisdom of the Sphinx, you know I mean? She's just, She's she's just so clearly wise and yet doesn't ever say this is what you should do. All she does is lets Picard talk it out. She's got that quality that is not in charge. Doesn't want to be in charge. She's no ambition. She and it's it's very kind and very calm. Like I would sit in that bar. I would love to sit in that bar and talk with her. Guinan. Not I mean, I would love to see Whoopi Goldberg too. Who wouldn't? That sounds like fun. But yeah. Guinan. I have a hard time sometimes because the characters and the actors are so popular that I want to be really clear when I'm talking about Whoopi Goldberg and when I'm talking about Guinan. Same thing with Picard is not Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart. And I'm... Yes. Oh, R2-D2 isn't real. <laughs> He's not? No, Picard isn't real either, except but, he is. But Kirk. William Shatner. Don't you dare. Oh, no, really? But but Kirk is. 
no, William Shatner isn't real. Somebody just wrote that guy. But Captain Kirk, no, he's real. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to You should to see okay. your face. You should see your face. It's like, oh my gosh. I just... <laughs> Do I have to start from the beginning? Do you remember talking about, like, one of our first conversations was like, there are some people who cannot distinguish the fact that Star Trek isn't real. You know these are shows, right? <laughs> there you go. So let's talk some Trek. With Whoopi Goldberg, can we? Because I love her. You want to start with Whoopi Goldberg? Yes. Yeah, I got a lot about her uh, to talk about. And when I saw her, she went to her first ever, she actually participated in her first ever Star Trek convention, not this last one, but last year in 2000, in 2016 for the 50th anniversary. She was in Vegas. I saw her speak. She was by far the best panelist I have ever seen at any Star Trek convention, except for like the first times that I saw like William Shatner and guys like that. She'd never been to one before. No. That's awesome. And we're going to put a link up. I, I've already got the link. Um, we're going to put a link up to her entire panel. Um, somebody recorded it. It's from the audience. So there are people that stand up occasionally in front of it that walk in front of it. It's sure. the sound quality is pretty good though. You can listen to it almost like a radio broadcast, except when the people that she brings up on stage, come up on stage, watch that part because it'll just, it'll just make your heart flutter. Aww. It's, it's really cool. Uh, appropriate for those of us who haven't seen, who've only seen one episode with her? I think so. Okay. She meant, she talks cool. about Tasha Yar, but we're there. You've got that information. Right, right. I, I don't think there's much you would, you would miss, but let me tell you the story that she tells. She's a big Star Trek fan. She always had been, and she was a huge Nichelle Nichols fan. Awesome. Who played Uhura. Good. In fact, <laughs> a lot of what Nichelle Nichols did in was was her inspiration to go into show business and do some of the things that she's done in the acting world. So huge. And she always wanted to be on Star Trek. And she was good friends with LeVar Burton, who okay. plays Jordy LaForge. And she kept telling him, tell them I want to be on Star Trek. Tell them I want to be on Star Trek. So she got her friend. She told LeVar Burton to tell them. And, he, and LeVar Burton would go back to the producers, would say, you know, Whoopi Goldberg said again, she wants to be on Star Trek. She wants to be on Star Trek. And one day she gets a phone call saying, Whoopi, <laughs> I understand you want to be on Star Trek. And she says, yeah. And he says, we're building a set for you and we have a character in mind for you. And we want you to be the bartender on the Enterprise. And so they created a character for her because of her desire to be on the show and she got her own character. They created a whole, so 10 forward, that fancy bar mm -hmm. that Let's... we'll see over and over and over again for mm -hmm. the rest of the series. Um, 10 forward was because Whoopi Goldberg just kept basically begging her friend LeVar <laughs> Burton. Just bugging the snot out of him. That's how you get an acting gig. And that's how you get on Star Trek. If you're Whoopi Goldberg. The at the time was she? I mean, comedy, right? That's her big start. I actually was a little bit expecting her to be funny in this role. She did a lot more than just comedy. Yeah, she was involved in you know everything from. Uh, oh my gosh! I got nothing. Um, 
uh, Comic Relief. They started, com- she was one of the three that started Comic Relief, which is still going strong today. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She did uh, a lot of comedy. You're right. She was in a, a variety of comedy movies, but she also, uh, I believe she got an Academy Award for her work in The Color Purple, which was a dramatic role. Because, I mean, I remember going back and LeVar Burton was probably the most well-known. They said Picard wasn't really well-known at the time. Not here in America. Not not in with an American uh, and audience. And everyone no, else is kind of like uh, not... Not giant big names, not something you can like be like, oh, I'm going to go see that because of this person. Whereas she, even at the time, uh, kind of a big deal, right? Like people knew her name. You could go to the Midwest and be like, Whoopi Goldberg. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, her. Okay, that's, I'm trying to get in my head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, she was a, she was a very like, big Like Star name. Trek didn't make her famous. She was already well. No, that's what made, that's what made this such an amazing coup for, for, um, for Star Trek, (laughs) for Star Trek was that here's this, this amazing actress that says, I want to be on your show. You know, I mean, that's, you want to talk about pennies from heaven just fell right into their laps. 171 acting credits on IMDb. The color purple was, uh, 1985. Okay. So she's. Really well known. Yeah. I mean, that was a breakout role for her. Then she did Jumpin' Jack Flash, which I just think is a fun, goofy comedy. She did a series of comedies, Fatal Beauty, Burglar, that kind of thing. And then coming into 1989, Ghost. Right. And then she she uh, jumped right into Star Trek. because <laughs> you know, She liked it. She could do that. <laughs> Are, is she friends with Nichelle Nichols? I will put another link up. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I just I just found that. So, so YouTube, when you watch something on YouTube, it likes to tell you what else to watch. Sure. And right after, right after this one, it told me about a, uh, an interview done between Whoopi Goldberg and Nichelle Nichols at that same Star Trek convention. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that interview, but it's, <sighs> it's recorded. And I might watch that just because the two of them acknowledge each other. One acknowledges the one for being the inspiration and the other says, you're what I pictured. Ah, yeah. Oh my God. I'll, I'll put that link up too. We'll have both those links ready to go. Heartstrings. You're starting to feel like these characters aren't as forgettable as they were in the first in the first episode now? Yes. Do you remember who most of them are? Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I have a, uh, yes. Obviously, okay. Picard. And I'm trying, I, I really am trying to do my, uh, I don't know. I think everybody who's listening should also know, I have a problem with proper nouns, just in general, and names in particular. I know it's really amazing. I flabbergasts me how people can remember names and numbers just right off the bat. So for me in particular, and this may not count for everybody, uh, getting introduced to that many, a little bit overwhelming. There's too many characters in this entire series. There's a lot of characters in this series, and and maybe you're right. Maybe there's too many. I think that's part of why why Tasha Yar she was axed was able to be let go because they didn't replace her. They didn't. Right. They didn't add a new character in. They just said, "All right, we're going to run with one less character." Right. And I think that that added a little a little ease to be able to follow. You know, probably when, even when, just one less. Yeah. When like twelve percent of the people you needed to know are suddenly gone. Uh, <laughs> 
or whatever way, the math way is. Way to break them down. <laughs> That's right. I did the math. Uh, <laughs> so I still think that a little bit, but it definitely gives you more diversity of story. Yeah, and, and and we'll get to see different you're right. That that's one of the the nice pieces about it. But I'm gonna okay, so I got your disclaimer. Right. You don't feel comfortable enough to know who they all are yet. Now let's do the quiz. Oh go okay. So who's the captain? Picard. Jean Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart. Ooh, you even have the actor for that one. Well, right. that, I love him. <laughs> but that's like the free that's like it's the a freebie. free space. Okay. Yeah, that's the free space on the bingo. It so is. so and his first officer. Number one is mm-hmm. William Riker. There you go. Yes, Commander William Riker. Do not know the actor's name. That's okay. Jonathan Frakes. Frakes, plays. yes. Which is, yep, yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay, Let, let's talk about the uh, the science guy. Who's that science person? Jordy LaForge? Or yeah, so so we're still now. Jordy is, is engineer. He's the engineer. Okay. He's down in engineering now. So he was up on the bridge for the first season, which is why you're still like getting used to him being down there. But he's our engineer. Okay, so that's not the sciency thing. So the science guy would be the one on the bridge that we're talking about the android here. Data. You know his okay. name. I mean, that, that was, was going to be my I, second I thought thing. You'd but... Just say data right there. And it would <laughs> that would that would have been far too easy. <laughs> uh, so so you are four for four. Okay. You're, got data, you're four for four. Got Jordy LaForge. Data, Brent, and Brent Spiner. So, okay. And Jordy LaForge, Spiner, LeVar Burton, yes. r- reading Rainbow. LeVar right? Burton, yes. Our current doctor is? Uh, it's Pulaski, but I can't remember her yeah. first name. Miranda? K- Catherine. Catherine Pulaski. Catherine Pulaski. And our previous doctor was? Uh, Crusher. Hmm? Right. Give me a second. And Crusher. What's her name? Beverly Crusher, yes. Beverly Crusher, that. right. And her, and her son's Wesley name? Wesley Crusher. Who's played by yep, Will the Wheaton? Boy Genius. Who's played by Will Wheaton? Wow, you're doing great. I also great. love him. Gates too, McFadden. <laughs> Gates McFadden played Beverly uh, Crusher. Played Beverly Crusher. And yep. And uh, D- uh, Dr. Catherine Pulaski was played by Diane Muldar. Okay. Um, and there's a Klingon on the on the Worf. ship. Worf. He's a little bit Lieutenant easier. Worf, played by Michael <laughs> Dorn. Right. Even though we haven't uh, seen any just... of his story, which I know will be remedied, but sure. still. And and I know you know who who Tasha Yar right. is because we've talked about her already. And then the only other person on the bridge we've also talked about a lot, even though she wasn't in this episode. Oh, uh, Diana Troy. Deanna Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy. Yeah, no respect for her yet. I got it. I know. I know. You keep telling me there will be, and I get it. I just, yeah, nope, yep. not yet. <laughs> and, and and Deanna Deanna Troy played by Marina Sirtis. So I want you to know, in spite of that disclaimer, I did pretty good. You got a perfect score. Yeah, yeah, okay. You knew every name. You knew every name. Or at least half of the names. Or half of so, their entire name. They're starting to not be quite as forgettable. Yes. You're starting to learn yes. who they are. They're starting to be less forgettable. And they're starting to learn who they are. <laughs> I don't think this is about me. Jessica and I typically don't share our notes. Um, we put them out there where we could read them, but neither of us have time for that. <laughs> we really do have a conversation. I love the writing of this. She actually sent me one note here saying, find out about the writer I'm going to ask. So I did some research on this awesome. writer and I love that you asked me this. Melinda Snodgrass was this writer. Okay. This was her first Star Trek credit. Well, kudos. So Measure of a Man, mm-hmm. this particular episode was a, an unsolicited script that she wrote 
and okay. submitted as part of the Star Trek's open submission policy, which just does not happen anywhere in television. Typically, if you want to put, if you want to get a, if, if you want to get a script writ, read by the producers, you're going to go through representation, through an agent. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of things, that, little hoops you have to go through. But right. at this time, they had what they called an open submission policy. Mm-hmm. They allowed people to, to solicit. Uh, or to bring in their own scripts. And apparently Melinda Snodgrass brought in this script, which uh, was uh, the first ever to be accepted as an unsolicited script. So she broke well the, the ground on Good that. For her. Dang. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, she became a story editor during the second season and she went on to be involved in either the writing or the story editing of, of like six other episodes. And I'm going to mention. A couple of them. Okay. Ensigns of Command, Measure of a Man, Up the Long Ladder, uh, The High Ground were all ones she did. I'm going to suggest that you go back and watch one called Pen Pals. Remember when we talked about the Prime Directive a couple of weeks ago? And you said, well, what if they were all dying? What if they were all actually dying? And that was the dilemma that we had to deal with. Take a look at pen pals and all see right. what happens when they are all going to die. Okay. And how we deal with the prime directive there. And that's there's some interesting stuff going on there. It's a nice data episode too. And then the other one, and this is one that I I was so close to putting this on the list. And that she was involved as a script consultant in this one is great. She was a script consultant on one called Menage a Troy. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, this was the episode I was considering showing you with Luxana Troy. This is the mom. Okay. This is this is Deanna's mother. And Oh, she I is... have weird creepy things just based off of you saying that and the title. Well, okay, so you don't have to pre Well, I don't know. It does get a oh, it does get misogynistic. Okay. It it Yay. does get a little bit like ugh. I'm creeped out because obviously her and her mom are connected, which means that I'm going to guess based on vicinity, one of them has an experience and that basically means the other one has it too. Yeah, there's, there's, some, of, there's some of that going on, but, but there's goods and bads about this episode. This is one of the classic moments of, of Deanna dealing with her mom. Okay. This is one of the classic moments of her mom dealing with Picard, her mom dealing with Deanna, and this is... You wanted to see Jean-Luc Picard let his hair down? The end of this episode will will have you laughing your butt off. Awesome. Yay! I like that. And you get to see Patrick Stewart perform Shakespeare. Actual Shakespeare (gasps) lines. It's... Beautiful. Yeah. As he was always meant to do. Look at the man. Alrighty, so talk to me about what's happening next week. What am I watching? Uh, so before we get to next week, I just want to give you a couple of quick spoilers of okay. things that will have happened that you can go back and watch, uh, or not, but I'm going to let you know what they are. So you know what's going on. The first is remember that character Q that we met in the pilot episode. I do. Well, Q, yeah, you do. And, and I know you didn't have the, the, the grandest opinion about him, but we're, uh, uh, we have seen him again. He came back in an episode called Hide and Q. Okay. That, and in that episode, uh, he basically gave Riker the power of the Q in an effort to corrupt him. And oh. It, it didn't take, uh, but he tried to corrupt Riker. And uh, as a result of him failing to corrupt Riker, um, 
Picard was able to get Q to promise never to come back on the Enterprise again. Sure he was. That has happened in the meantime. Okay. The only other thing I want to mention right now is um, there was a planet that we had investigated that had um, an entire city that had felt like it, that looked like it had basically been scooped off of the planet. So it was an outpost that looked like the whole outpost had been just like, like somebody just picked it up with a shovel and it was all gone. So that was something that we, that was happened. It was never explained. So when you see something similar in this episode, no, we've encountered that before. Okay. Okay. And those are the those are the two big spoilers. So um, we are we are stepping on the gas Who, with the second season. Second yeah. se- so this is still in the second season. Who's it featuring? Oh, perfect. Yes. So uh, and this is going to be a little bit more of an ensemble show, but this is going to feature like all of them. I mean, may as well just always Picard. say Picard. Um, sure. Guinan has uh, cool. some very big parts in this, but this is going to be far more of an ensemble. Because okay. everybody's going to get an opportunity to shine. You're going to great, get great moments from Riker. You're going to get some great moments from uh, LaForge. You're going to get a lot of great moments from a lot of different characters. So, Most importantly, though, when do I finally get to hear the famous line, oh, shut up, Wesley? <laughs> Not in this episode. Okay. Not in we'll this episode. There. You've heard about that, have you? Yeah. Oh, shut up. Leslie. That's one. That one's almost as big as the red shirt thing. Like the second you start just peeking into Star Trek a little bit, yeah. you hear red shirts and you hear uh, stuff about Picard, like shut up, Wesley. Yeah. But I actually, I much like the red shirt. I haven't actually heard it a whole lot. Uh, and now everybody's wearing red. So except for Beverly Crusher. Yeah. So, so much for the red shirt thing. It, you know, it was a thing, but it wasn't as giant a thing. It was like Kirk kissing every alien he meets he didn't he doesn't he yeah. didn't he has he his quite moments. a few but not nearly some of these reputations are just a little less deserved than they should be well i didn't watch the one with the green alien slave girls so the last episodes have been kind of cerebral we are going to get into some heavy duty action Woohoo! i like that yep and we're going to meet uh, uh, a, a new race a new alien cool. okay. race out there. So the name of the episode, we're moving into the middle of the second season now. Our foot is definitely on the gas and we're moving full throttle. And we're going to watch an episode called Q Who. Q Who. Q Who. <laughs> so let me just spell it because there's a lot of episodes that have that Q letter in them. Okay. So Q is spelled Q. Q. And then the who is spelled W-H-O. So Q, who is the name of the episode. It's the 16th episode of the second season of The Next Generation. Well, I got that it's Q, who. Q, who. I will be watching that on the 28th, coming Sunday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, If you want to follow along, I do tweet out some opinions on Twitter at Begin the Trek. And I believe now we've connected our Facebook. So if that's more your speed, you can get onto Facebook.com slash Beginning the Trek. There you go. You can also visit our website at uh, www.beginningthetrek.com. And we're starting to have some great engagement with people. We'd love to have you get involved in that, too. 
We need a prediction from you. That was about now. We've now that we've done the plug, I can give my prediction. <laughs> we, we we've done all. So so it's hashtag BTT hashtag QHU. Those will that'll be squished together. No dashes. You or can anything. actually put QHU together, and like that's a small one. You get some characters for this one. I do well. Twitter's loosened up on its 140 thing. So. Oh right, yeah, yeah they've doubled like, that now, right? So who cares? You can write a paragraph now. Uh, I still try to keep it fairly short and sweet whatever my prediction is that q is going to show up as oh you think q is going to be in this do you shockingly um completely unfathomable that he would be here after picard has clearly said get the f out uh but he's going to show up in disguise as somebody that they already know Mm. and the ship and crew are going to be running around doing whatever this person that they already know is bidding um, and then it's only at the end they're going to figure out, well, gosh darn it, we've met this fella and he's a trickster, which ah. is the nicest way I could have said what's going to happen. Got it. So you think that Q-Who, he's going to show up in disguise yes. as, as, as trickster Q, like he, right. like he does. And, uh, it's not going to be till the end that we, uh, that realize. we realize that we've been fooled the whole time. Right. And that he's got them running around in circles and that they don't actually have to. Yeah. Okay. Qhu, we will see how close you are. I am I am locking your your prediction into the giant prediction machine. Okay. You get Qhu this week. I'm not nearly as excited as you are, but maybe I will be. We'll we'll see. <laughs> are we are we are we at the point where we start to wrap it up? Clunkily and weirdly, like we always do. As we do, do we, yes. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it smooth and suave this time. Does that mean you have your radio voice? You go first. All right. I'll see everybody next week. Bye, Andy. <laughs> Goodbye, Jessica. No, I want to know what the smooth thing was going to be. I don't know. I was just like, I was. You're trying I'm to get me being... to be smooth. That's not going to happen. <laughs> And I don't even have to say let's talk ep- uh, episode. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> that might be the button. Well, you had the fart on mine. That was beautiful, by the way. Uh-huh.